Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. In this message, Andy McGowan teaches through Romans 8. Where do you need to stop living under condemnation and start living in gratitude? Andy teaches how to make the gospel a central part of your life in this message. Today we're going to talk about the spirit of assurance. What does it mean to have assurance in the Lord? Uh, And we're going to speak that specifically in the next five weeks in the context of the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, here's why. Uh, The Holy Spirit has only been mentioned once in the first seven chapters of Romans. So all of Empires Volume 1 and everything in Empires Volume 2 up until now, the Holy Spirit specifically has only been mentioned once. When we get to Romans chapter 8... Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 22 times. And so you can see in the next five weeks, it is going to be a Holy Spirit fast, all right? So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And, you know, as you, as you uh, turn there right now, I want to encourage you, if you're a part of this church, to open up the Bible. Uh, it'll be on your app as well, your Manual Kenosha Church app. You can download that. If you're a guest, it'll be on the screen for you. But as you're turning there, I got a question for you, all right? In fact, what do you think one of the hardest questions of life is? Hmm? When someone asks you a question, what is the hardest question that you have to answer? And I could tell you, at least for me, because it stumps me every time, is when someone asks me the question, what is your favorite, fill in the blank, right? How many of you hate that question? Hey, what's your favorite, right? What's your favorite vacation spot? I'm like, I don't know, they're all good. What's your favorite food? I, I don't know, right? I mean, as a kid, I'd say pizza. I guess I've never updated that one, right? Uh, what's your favorite movie? I don't know, right? I mean, I, I'll tell you the Goonies, but again, that's a kid's one, and I'm sure there's more inspirational Academy Award-worthy movies than the Goonies. I, I don't know. And so when people get spiritual on this answer, and they say, Andy, we want you to tell us what is your favorite verse or your favorite passage in scripture and I'm like I don't I, I don't know because it's all good right there's your there's your Christian answer it's the Bible it's all good it's all my favorite right but then someone said well what if you were lost in a desert island and you only had one page of the Bible it, really it's all your favorite I'm like okay I guess if I could have a page of the book of Romans or the page of Leviticus I'm choosing Romans all right for those of you that don't know what Leviticus is? Start reading it today, and you'll know what I mean. All right? So, it's, it's all good. It's all God's word. It's all important. But you know what? There's some things that have utmost importance because it's so clear of how to be connected with God. And that's specifically uh, what we're going to talk about today. By the way, not to leave you hanging, what are some of my favorite passages? Uh, Psalm 19, love it. Uh, Isaiah 6, 8, whom shall I send? Uh, who will go for us? Here I am, send me. That's one of my life verses. John 3, 16. I can keep on going, all right? I don't have a favorite. I have many favorites. Uh, so when, but when you ask many Bible scholars, they can actually narrow it down to what they believe is not only their favorite, but perhaps, if they can say this, what is the most important passage in all of Scripture. Uh, many agree on this. What is a passage? I'll tell you in a moment. Uh, but here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. And by the way, we, we've referenced him a lot uh, in this series because he has written the most extensive treatment on the book of Romans, all right? Martin Lloyd-Jones is a, a, ma- a madman, wild man who's with the Lord now. He was a, such a scholar, so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and left us just a treasure trove of study in the book of Romans. So he literally has hundreds of great quotes when it comes to this book in the Bible. And this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says uh, about this passage we're going to be in today. He says, it is the greatest statements of all scripture the most important for the christian experience and for the health and well-being of the christian behavior if you said this is the most important passage for your christian health i'm leaning in and saying okay what one i'll tell you in a moment in fact i'll just have john piper answer it john piper says the passage will be in today he says the greatest book the greatest book in the world is the bible and if the Bible's the greatest book uh, in the world, then the greatest letter in the Bible is the book of Romans. And the greatest chapter in the book of Romans is chapter 8. That's where we're at in the next five weeks, right? But he says the most important verse in all of chapter 8 is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Here it is. What they say is the most important verse in all of Scripture. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Right there. If that doesn't give you goosebumps, then I might need to read it again. Therefore, there is no 
now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, you do not stand condemned today. It is the most hopeful passage. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, there is now no condemnation over your life. You stand in the favor of Almighty God. You are free from the guilt of sin. You are justified, declared not guilty. You are forgiven. And he'll never go back on his forgiveness. Why? Because there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but it kind of wells up a little bit of praise that should be a little bit exuberant, right? So just give Jesus... Some praise right now, because if you're in him, there is no condemnation. But I'll tell you what, what can be difficult is, what can be difficult is for some of us, we're like, I know I need to clap that. I know I need to praise that. But there's something in your life that questions that. How do you feel this morning? Be honest. Do you feel a bit condemned? Do you? And if you do, then the question is, Why? Why do you feel condemned? Maybe it's because you have a regret in your life. Uh, maybe it's because that sin that you're so easily entangled with, it just keeps on coming back and you keep on confessing it and it just keeps on coming back. Maybe you felt that you're not growing in Christ like in past seasons. Maybe you feel like you're in a desert. Maybe it's because you know and, and, and you know this and, and you've chosen this, but you're not currently following Christ in your life. Maybe that's why you're feeling condemnation. Or maybe you feel so distant and condemned from God because perhaps maybe you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And that is perhaps true. But if that is you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're, and you're feeling distant or when you read these passages of scripture and you feel condemned, I want you to know that today you can step into this promise. Today you can step into the promise that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is a promise this is a fact, even if you don't feel it. Now, don't mishear me. Feelings are not bad. Uh, you may have grown up in a tradition or in a church where they're like, fact before feeling, but, and then it's almost like feelings are bad, right? Maybe you've grown up in that. And I'm seeing some heads nod, right? And so feelings aren't bad. Feelings are a gift. We're told by Jesus himself to worship in spirit and truth. Uh, we, we are told to delight ourselves in the things of God. But feelings can be wrong. Unlike the facts and truths of Jesus Christ, which are always right, our feelings can be wrong. I'm pretty tired this morning. We moved. I'll talk about that in a second uh, to another place. And I'm just like, man, I woke up like extremely like beat. I'm like, why am I tired? I'm like, oh, man, am I having an existential spiritual crisis? No, I just moved a lot of furniture. All right. I'm tired. There's nothing more than that. Our feelings can change day by day for various reasons. And if we don't let truth lead those feelings, they can lead us to very different conclusions of who God is. So where is your confidence in Jesus this morning? Are you feeling condemned or are you, is he feeling distant? Do you have the assurance of salvation in Jesus? Well, here's the main point. I want us to stick with this main point and then we're going to unpack it. The main point is this. Assurance is based on fact more than feeling. Assurance is based on fact more than feeling. You may wake up uh, in the morning someday and feel like God is so distant when he's actually not. You may feel like you've done something so wrong when, when, you're, when, when you're just to receive the goodness of God in that day. Assurance is based on fact more than feeling. Let's define assurance here because we're going to talk a lot about it today. Assurance is a positive declaration intended to give confidence. It's a promise. It's an insurance. It's a certainty about something. And the Bible uses this word very clearly. I'll share one example. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our assurance is based on not our feelings or what we conjure up. It is based solely on the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Assurance is more than a feeling. It is empowered by the Spirit of God. But when your assurance or lack of assurance is not based on the truth of Jesus, but just a feeling, wrong conclusions will indeed be lived by. And that is an epidemic today, uh, not only in the church, but culture. People are, are, are making conclusions about God or making conclusions about their life solely because of the temperature of what everybody's collectively feeling in that moment. 
Some have assurance this morning because with God because they feel like they're just good with God. They're, they're basing it on their works, and that's a false assurance. Uh, some people, uh, they feel condemned, but they are in Christ, and they, they have this feeling that God is distant and that they need to, get re, that they need to somehow get resaved or something because they, you know, they, they, they hit their, their finger with a hammer and a word came out, and they're like, oh, no. Listen, the thing is, there's no condemnation on you. Just, just go to God. Uh, he, wants to, he wants to receive uh, your sorrow right now for that sin. So our assurance or lack of assurance could be off if it's not based on God's truth. In fact, I will say this. Assurance or the lack of your assurance, uh, if, if it's without truth, it's worthless. Your feelings, yes, are an indicator of what's going on in your heart. But your feelings, in, in, in order for them to be powerful, must be aligned with the truth of God. Let me give you an example. I had a moment of momentary lapse of assurance this week. Let me, t- let me just be real honest with you. Uh, we moved uh, into a house in Forest Park, just a few streets from here. And one of the things that came with our house uh, was an alarm camera system. I mean, it is like epic, right? There are like cameras on every, it's out, it's outdoor camera system, and it's on every point of our house, uh, is, and then it goes right into the TV they left into the house. So literally, I feel like I'm looking at a bank vault, but it's my backyard. It makes me wonder if Fort Knox is underneath my backyard, right? So we're gonna start digging after church if you wanna help. But you know what? It gives me that assurance, like I, I feel like I'm safe in my home, and I, you know, I, I feel like we're, we're all good. Like I said, I had a momentary lapse this week because I got a phone call that changed my opinion for a moment. Allison called me up and said, Andy, we had a big problem today. And I was like, well, what do you mean a big problem? I found a big spider. And I said, what do you mean big? It's big. And so I said, all right, uh, send a picture over. I'm going to warn you. How many people hate spiders? You're afraid of spiders? You're going to have nightmares. So you might want to close your eyes. This is what Allison found at our house. Look at that thing. I didn't know Wisconsin had tarantulas, but apparently they do, all right? So, and I said, what'd you do with it? Yeah, some of you are like, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm leaving, all right? <laughs> I said, what'd you do? She goes, I got a hammer, and I played whack-a-mole with that thing. It's dead. Now, what she didn't tell me is I thought this was in the house. So I said, immediately the camera system, forget it. I was like, all right, we're calling Katie. We're, we're, putting, that, we're putting that for sale sign back in the front yard. I ain't living in that house anymore, right? She goes, oh, no, 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 it was, it was in the house. It was in the garage. I'm like, all right, burn it down, all right? <laughs> and then, you know, of course, after my craziness, I'm like, I realized, oh, that's all crazy. I'm not really gonna do that. Uh, but uh, it's all crazy, right? But in the moment, that's what I felt. I didn't feel safe any longer. It wasn't logical. It's safe. It's dead, right? And it is the biggest spider in Wisconsin. We did look it up. I know our house is safe, but my feelings said otherwise. You know, it's like that in our life sometimes too, isn't it? We think we know the things of God. We think we know that we're safe in his arms but there's something challenging always at our heart to not trust him. Again, feelings are good. Delight yourself in the Lord. We're show exuberant praise. But our, our feelings must be aligned with truth. And the thing is, my, my house is unsafe because of a, yes, he's big, but a relatively, dead smi- a relatively dead spider. He's dead, right? The spider's dead? Okay, cool. All right, so three reasons for our assurance this morning. When you're in Christ, you're assured that you're no longer condemned that you're received in his forgiveness. You're assured that by the giving of the Spirit, your mind will be renewed. Uh, You're assured to live a new life. Assurance is played out, forgiveness. Assurance is played out by the Holy Spirit renewing your mind. Assurance is played out by living in the new life. So let's take a look at our first one, if you're taking notes this morning. Assurance comes from forgiveness, specifically Jesus' forgiveness. Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh God did he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Let's break this down. 
The first word we see, oh, it's a favorite from the book of Romans. This is, this is a review time. If you've been here for a few weeks, the first word we see is the word therefore. And if it's therefore, you've got to ask, what's it there for? Yes, you, get, you did it right, right? It connects us to a previous thought. Specifically, it connects us to the thought that Tom unpacked last week. It's that, that struggle, those, those dueling desires that are in our heart. In fact, let's go back. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Paul speaks of a very real struggle of good and evil. This is what he says. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul gives a very specific passage here of the struggle that is going on in his life. It doesn't mean that Paul was unsaved. It doesn't mean that he was falling short. But rather, he's come to the realization of a real battle that's going on in your heart. In fact, Tom's main idea last week was the war inside is evidence of new life. And I say amen to that. Uh, if you're aware of the struggle in your heart, if it bothers you, there's a struggle in your heart, guess what? You have step one, you have, you have w- walked towards victory. Because if you are not in Christ, do you think that struggle bothers you? No, you're not even aware of it. But if you do become aware of it, you're like, ah, so what? I can do what I do. I'm my own boss, right? But we realize when you are in Christ, you realize that Jesus is boss. He's the Lord. He's the leader of our life. Which means that when we are doing something contrary to his leadership, it should bug us. It should prick our heart. The worn side is evidence of new life. You feel the struggle, the struggle to go back into what you've been delivered from. You feel the struggle. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, you feel the temptations that are trying to pick the lock of your heart. And by the way, temptation is not sin. We will all be tempted with something, and the enemy knows, and your flesh knows, what you're most easily tempted with. Just because you think something doesn't mean you have to do it. Did you know that? Just because you have a thought, it's like, oh, I better go do that. Don't go rob that bank, all right? Just because it, I, I want to go look at that. No, that doesn't mean you have to go look at that. That doesn't mean you have to say that. Oh, it's in my mouth. It, just, like, keep it, keep it, all right? Don't say it. You know, when you've said it, and you're like, oh, I wish I would have listened. Temptation is something that you don't have to give into. Having the wrong desires doesn't mean you give into it. Just because it feels something doesn't mean that you should do it. And by the way, just because you're tempted with something doesn't mean you are not in Christ. You will be tempted. The enemy wants to take you out and make you useless in the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're a threat to his initiatives. But we are victorious in God's initiatives. You yield to him. Now, by the way, this struggle is not an excuse to do whatever you please. Sometimes people get in groups and they're like, let's talk about our struggles. And then they get worse in their struggles because like, well, he struggles with it. I'm just going to struggle with it too. No. Jesus said, be holy for I am holy, right? Be set apart. And we live in a world's ethic where they say, if you want to be your true self, give in to all your desires. Live your true you. Embrace whatever you're feeling. But whatever you're feeling and you embrace it's outside of truth, God's truth, does not give glory to God. So if you feel something or tempted by something, you feel the war inside, know that only a, a, a true believer will wrestle with that. A true believer, you will recognize that. Don't get caught off guard because you're feeling a, a battle in your soul. Know that God has opened your eyes to see the battle of which we're in each and every day. So no matter what you're feeling, if you're in Christ, you have the assurance that you are now under no condemnation because assurance is based on fact more than feeling. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are free from condemnation. I mean, I want you to drink that in. You are not condemned. We're going to say that a lot this morning because this is something I think is very hard to penetrate into our, our mind and our hearts. Drink it in. If you're in Christ, you are not condemned. Now, condemnation appears only in the book of Romans. It's a legal term. It's a legal term for punishment for a crime. It's used in the context that when you are not forgiven from sin, you stand directly under God's condemnation. And that word con- condemn or condemnation is, is used in culture typically when somebody doesn't agree with something you're really passionate about. You know, you state a, a, an opinion and someone's like, I don't believe that. I feel condemned, right? 
That's usually where you, you hear that word. But this word is so much deeper than that. Uh, you can't condemn anybody because only God can. Because condemnation deals with the soul. Condemnation has to do with our souls before almighty God. In fact, we're, we see this specifically in a passage we previously read a few weeks ago. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. We see the outworking of condemnation. For the wages of sin is death. Sin places you in debt before Almighty God. And when we're in debt to Almighty God, we are spiritually dead. And if you're spiritually dead, you can't make yourself alive. Have you ever seen a corpse try to give itself CPR? No, you can't, right? You need a miracle. You, you need a remedy. And that remedy is Jesus Christ, who paid it all on the cross, who the Spirit of Almighty God pulls the scales off your eyes, opens your ears to hear, gives you a heart to receive the message you're hearing. The Spirit of God is at work even before we say yes to Jesus. And we need a miracle. And that miracle is Jesus. Why? Because without it, the wages, that is the result of sin, is condemnation. It's death. Eternal life in a place the Bible calls hell. There's an unpopular term, unpopular place. The, the word count about hell has done this. If you, if you, if you ever seen Google word counts, you can see the word usages. You can see if it's a popular word that's coming into usage or if it's declined over the decades. If you were to do a Google term on hell in the church, it'd be declining like this. Why? Because it's not popular. Ooh, don't talk about that. Let's talk about heaven. Let's not talk about hell. The problem is Jesus talked about hell a lot. He talked about hell more than anybody else in scripture. There's people actually today trying to claim, oh, Jesus didn't really talk about hell. I don't know what gospels you're reading because he talked about hell often more than anybody else in the Bible. And not only did he talk about it, he just didn't allude to it. He got very specific. He said that hell is a real place of eternal torment, of eternal fire, which there's no second chance. And Jesus was urgent about this because he desires that not one person perishes. But we know that the road is wide and many are, lead, are being led to destruction, that many will miss Jesus. Many will stand underneath the condemnation of God. Why? Because it's not that God is a tyrant. No, it's that he's loving and he's, de he's delivering us from something we all deserve. You see, when we sin, we stand separated from God and he doesn't have to save us. But because of his mercy, he chose to give us an option to save us. And we got to receive him, don't we, church? People got to receive Jesus. He's the only one. By, he's the only name, Jesus Christ. But when you say no to Jesus or you don't hear about Jesus or you try to get to Jesus by your own merit, your own way and not by what he did on the cross, you stand under his condemnation. Romans 6.23 again, for the wages of sin is death. But let's get to the good news, can we? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, I've seen people, they, they, they focus on the bad news. and We need to hear the bad news if we know what good news is actually good news, right? All right, so the wages of sin is death. That's bad. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're in Christ, you received it at one time. If you're in Christ, you're around people in your life that haven't received this gift that you can so freely tell and people so freely receive this gift that you are now no longer under condemnation. Salvation is a gift. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, he forgives you of all your sins. The Holy Spirit comes in you. And no matter what you're feeling, the fact is God changes you. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation, and that's a fact. But the enemy is going to want to tell you otherwise. The enemy is going to want to tell you that, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I know, I know that you received Jesus, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So uh, he's going to make you question it. He doesn't want you to have assurance. Let me demonstrate it this way. I had said last week we moved to Forest Park, and you know, weird thing about moving is we were on 31st Street for over a decade. I brought all three of our kids, Alison brought all three of our kids home there. Um, the rest of the family, they're not sentimental. They're like, oh yeah, let's go to the next place. But I guess, well, I guess Elias is. So Elias, my oldest son and me, we're just kind of like, oh, this is so sad, right? You know, the first morning I woke up at, at the new home, I'm like, uh, uh, this doesn't feel like home, all right? I wanna, I wanna go back, all right? So. Um, but the, right before our first night, uh, when I was getting ready to go to bed, Allison goes, oh, what? It's like, 
I forgot to get the mail at the house. I was like, at the old house. I'm like, oh, okay. And I looked at the clock. It was 15 minutes to midnight. Our occupancy ended in 15 minutes. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to go over there, so I'm not trespassing next time I go. And so I drove over at 11.45 at night to go get our mail, all right? Kind of creepy. I get it, right? And there was only one thing in the mail. It was this. It was a bill. It was a bill from Chase, our previous mortgage uh, uh, from our previous house. And so I opened it up. I'm like, what do they want, right? And I opened it up. And it said that I owe in August for the house I no longer owe. Now, I knew in my mind that was silly. I no longer own this house. But as I looked at this, and it's 11.45 at night, you still felt the eerie feeling like I still owed. I know I didn't owe, but this this told me that I did owe, and my feelings felt like I still owed. And you know, the same can be true when we're in Christ. We know that we don't owe because he paid it all. We know that we no longer stand in condemnation, but we did something wrong and we feel like we're in condemnation, right? We feel so opposite of what we're told is no longer. You know what? Jesus Christ died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he said it is finished. And when it's finished, Satan can tell you whatever he wants to tell you, but it is finished. It has no power over you. You are free, church. You're free. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you are in Christ, the debt has been paid. Why? Verse 2, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. The reason why we are not condemned, it's not just some kind of nice phrase, oh, you're not condemned. There is a reality to this. How did this happen? You are not condemned because the Spirit of God has set you free through the blood of Jesus Christ. He went to that cross. He paid it all. He's a perfect sacrifice. He rose from the dead, and now we get to receive. Now, notice something very important here. We see that Jesus took on the likeness of sinful flesh. You will find a heresy even in the church today where they say, well, you know, Jesus was sinful. I've heard this. For some people that go to church, every day, I think Jesus was sinful. Well, guess what? We're still then dead in our sins. Jesus took on the likeness of sinful flesh. In fact, Paul told the, the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said he made him to know no sin, to be sin on our behalf. And so what Jesus did is he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice that stood in our place. It's a doctrine called the substitutionary atonement. For those of you that want to write that down and know a smart term, right? It's, it's a substitutionary atonement. It's, he was a sinless sacrifice. He stood in a place that nobody else could stand. I could not do it for you. You could not do it for you. And you could not do it for me. The only person that can take away our sin debt is the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 3, what the law could not do, God did. God did the impossible through Jesus Christ. And because of that, yes, indeed, there is no condemnation. Only because of Jesus' death and resurrection. This is why the gospel must be central to our life. It must be central to what we do. It must be central to our initiatives. It must be central to us as a church. The gospel is the only reason why we have hope this morning. Jesus died on the cross. And he said, it's finished. There was no asterisk. There was a period. It is finished, period, I heard a pastor say it this way once. He said, when Jesus died on the cross, none of you were alive. Did you get that? When Jesus died on the cross some 2,000 years ago, none of us were alive, which means when he went to the cross, he died for every sin that we had yet not committed. Often people talk about Jesus. Even in the Christian circles, they talk about Jesus, but they stop short of the gospel of Jesus. Instead, they focus on the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, what Jesus did are vitally important. They're of great importance. But what's of supreme importance is why Jesus came. And he came so that you and I may have life, life eternal with him. It is the gospel of Jesus plus nothing because, with the, because the gospel without Jesus is nothing. Romans 8, verse 3. For the law could not do, since it was weakened by flesh. God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Verse 4. In order that the law's requirement may be fulfilled in us, we do not walk according to the flesh, but, here it is, according to the Spirit. Notice in verse 4 that word walk. 
You know, if you've been in the church world for a while, you might, you might have heard this phrase, how's your walk going with Jesus, right? And if you've been in the church world, you know how to answer it. Well, you know, it's been great. Or, well, it's been a little rough this week. Or, oh, it's not going really good, right? Now, if you have not been in the church world and someone says, hey, how's your walk going? Well, I guess I did take one walk in the neighborhood this week, right? And so this, this is where this comes from. Walk is an old term that really means your way of life. Your way of life. What, what, are, what are your habits? What, 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 do you, what do you fill your life with? And so we see that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, we're now to no longer walk uh, by the flesh, that is by your own desires. We are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way to walk, church. None. In the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a true believer, you may have a sin nature. You, you will be tempted to go back to the old way, but the Holy Spirit gives you a new desire. I'm not saying you get it all figured out because we don't all have it figured out. We are, all, we are all imperfect, right? We will all mess up, right? But the thing is, if you have absolutely no desire to follow Jesus, if you have absolutely no desire or you have no grieving towards sin anywhere, but you're like, ah, oh, but I said a prayer, I guess, a couple years ago at church. I want to tell you that prayer, prayers don't save you. They're just an indication of what's going on in your heart, all right? You may have missed the gospel because if you receive the gospel, it gives you a new mind. It gives you a new heart. You don't desire Jesus in all things. You've got to ask yourself, well, listen, I'm not, we don't have it all figured out. We don't desire Jesus in all things because we are sinful people, right? But we're redeemed people and God wants to grow us in all things, whether it be your job, whether it be your finances, your, your, your afflictions, your, your sexuality, you name it. They all need to be underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are not to make a definition. We are not to make our own ways. When you say, God, what is your way? And whatever your way is, and I'm not aligned to it, God, let break my heart. Oh, that should be a prayer for us this morning, right, church? God, will you break our heart for what breaks yours? God, will you open up my eyes? God, I, there's, I know there's areas in my life I don't desire you. And I understand there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want to live a life of worship. God, break my heart. Bust it open. So this is kind of the gospel progression. You're taking notes. Let's put that up on the screen here. So the what is, Jesus justifies you. We've been talking about this the first seven chapters. That means he declares you not guilty of sin, right? How Jesus was, is our substitute for our sin. His action on the cross was our, that was his substitution standing in our place. And how we were to respond now is we're to walk in this new life. We won't get this part perfect, but it's a natural response to salvation. It doesn't cause salvation. Where people get works-based, they flip this all around. They, they, they try to walk in this new life so that Jesus will accept them. Well, if you are the cause of your salvation, you don't need the cross. And without the cross, we're doomed. Assurance is based on fact more than feeling. Assurance comes from forgiveness. Secondly, assurance comes with your mind on the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to empower you. And with that comes the assurance that God is in you. Our assurance does not come first from our acts towards God. They come first from the, from the forgiveness of Jesus, and then our actions go accordingly. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we see two sets of people in this passage. Just two. Those who have their minds set on the flesh and those who have their minds set on the spirit. Now, this is a, a, a general statement that if you are walking consistently with your mind on the flesh, with never a thought about uh, your minds being on the spirit of God or being on, the, being on Jesus Christ and his ways, that's a good indication that something is way off and prodigal or you're, you're a good chance that you didn't really understand the gospel. If your mind is on the spirit, it can only be on the spirit if you've been born again. So there's two people here, two sets of people. And I, the reason why I bring this up is we live in a culture where people are being divided and divided and divided and divided into categories I can't even keep count of, right? Every day is a new day that we're, it's another person that they're dividing and pitting one group of people against another. There are a lot of causes. And depending on where you land, uh, and you're either in or you're out. You're canceled, you're silenced, you're bullied into submission. 
Uh, we, we see this in Hollywood. We see this in politics. We see this in the business world. And people say, oh, those things don't exist. Well, uh, when, when news organizations on both ends of the spectrum saying, yeah, these things exist, I'm going to tell you, they, they do exist, all right? People are, are being canceled right and left for their views because the society is being divided up into all different uh, sections and categories. People are increasingly being divided in categories that are not from God, but godless theories. In fact, to borrow an idea from Mark Driscoll, he put it this way. He said, traditional understandings of, of building up the church, families, and businesses, and marriage and genders under attack. Instead, it's being replaced by what's called critical theory. There are a number of critical theories. Critical theory is something that really came out of the 1930s Germany, uh, and, and it's really developed even in the last few decades. And what they do is, is they tear something down they didn't create to build something else and define it by how they want to define it. So as a result of critical theory, people are being divided up in categories of education, wealth, class, race, the list goes on, sexuality. But the Bible makes clear, how does God view groups? You're either in Christ or you're not. You're, you're, you're either your mind is on the things of the spirit or your mind is on the things of the flesh. Paul said it this way to the Galatian church that was experiencing huge division. He said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now what Paul isn't saying here is, oh, there's no longer any male or female. No, there is male or female. He understands that people do come from different locations or different backgrounds or, or different ethnicities. But what he's saying is, that is how you're not defined. You're defined as someone who was created in the image of God and you either know God or you don't know God. That's it. And so today, when we see these categories being redefined and redefined and divided upon being divided, I want you to know that is not from the Lord. That is not how the Lord sees it. And a clear indication of where your heart is is where your mind is. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 now, the mindset of the flesh is death. You want to think the world's way? Okay, it's going to cost you. It's death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The unsafe see and operate in the world, very clearly we see here from Scripture, by the flesh. Period. That is their thoughts. Without the word of God, without the spirit of God, without being renewed and born again, they're going to see it just through their eyes, their fallen eyes. For those who are in the spirit are saved. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, informed by his word, and they see how we ought to live, the issues that are going on in the world. They go through, first and foremost, the lens of scripture. That doesn't mean that everybody on every little thing, you know, you, you, could, you could talk about economic policy or whatever, and sometimes politics is what really divides people. You, you can find different policies that maybe you have a believer here and a believer over here that really love Jesus, have different viewpoints, all right? But however you get to that viewpoint, it needs to go through the guise of scripture. And there are things today that are being debated that are undebatable. Back to male and female. I cannot believe that this is, this is something that they'll, they'll silence us on Facebook, right? It's unbelievable. But so be it, because we have to put everything through the guise of God's word. That indeed, yes, there is only two sexes, a male and female. That's not controversial, it's biblical. As a Christian, we must see the world through the eyes of the Lord. And we can't do that if we're not in his word. We can't do that if we're not empowered by his spirit. More on that in a moment. Now, a Christian could still fall back into thinking through the grid of the world without God. The quickest way to stop doing this, by the way, is stop reading your Bible. If you want to think the way the world thinks, get out of the Word of God. And some of us are like, uh-oh, I've been out of the Word of God for a while, all right? I haven't really been reading it. Guess what happens? It is a slow fade to where you begin to step into and begin to view things as the world views them. You'll begin to embrace them. You'll begin to think as the world thinks, not as what the Spirit should be leading you by God's Word, but by the way and the winds of this world. If you want to, uh, if you're not in his word, you'll forget his word and you'll be flooded with the wrong ideas. If you do things without God, you're not seeking to be the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you're, if you're not seeking his power, then you will fall back 
inevitably and be unsure of the things of God. I have never met anybody who became more sure of the things of God who are outside not reading their Bible. They're not reading their Bible. They stopped reading their Bible. You know, I haven't read my Bible in three months, but man, my assurance of the things of God, they have increased. I've never heard that once. And if someone did tell me that, I'd be like, are you sure you're talking about the same Jesus, right? I've never heard someone say, oh, my assurance of Jesus. I, I, Jesus, I were so close, but I haven't prayed in a couple months. My prayer life has just sunk. That, that's not gonna happen. Oh, I just feel so empowered by, by Jesus. That, you know, I'm just seeking my own strength and my own, my own ways. Uh, forget the Holy Spirit. Have I ever seen that? No. And I believe that may be the reason why the church at large in the Western world has been so anemic. Because we try to do it in our own strength. We try to do it in our own ways. We try to just wing it. We need to be tied to it. We, we, we need to be desperate for it. We need to feed off the word of God. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. A mind that tries to figure it out without God, actually it's not just an error, it's hostile towards the things of God. Too many people want the love of Jesus without the leadership of Jesus. Without Jesus being the leader, your actions are hostile. You may be under no condemnation, but listen, you may still be hostile in, the, in your actions inadvertently. When you place your faith in Christ, he changes your nature and mind to be aligned with the things of the Spirit. This doesn't mean we are not perfect or his grace doesn't cover disobedience. They do. But when you're given the Spirit, you feel the battle, and the battle invites you to the power of his presence. Make no mistake, as a Christian, if you choose to sin against God, and you're like, well, I heard what Andy said today. I know I'm supposed to desire this, but I just really like the life I'm living right now. You're stepping, as a follower of Christ, you're stepping into some dangerous zones here. Some dangerous spots in your life. If sin doesn't prick your spirit, it either means you're not saved, or you become so callous to the things of the spirit and the word of God that you're living a practically unsaved life. And this is a dangerous place to be. Sin will eat at you, and even the Lord could bring you home. Did you know that? Did you know that? In fact, Paul told the Corinthian church, uh, he told about a man that claimed to be a Christian, but he was caught in some unrepentive, egregious sin. And this is what Paul said. This is heavy. 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, I handed this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. He's asking the Lord, if this guy is so, so destructive in his sin, I'm, I'm praying that God calls him home. Whoa, I don't want to be in that spot, church. If that's not a, a come to Jesus, I'm like, all right, I, I want to make sure I'm good with God this morning, right? Sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's so big that Jesus died for it so that you may no longer be condemned. Assurance is based on the fact, more in feeling. Assurance comes from the forgiveness. Assurance comes with your mind on the spirit. And third and final, assurance comes with newness of life. Romans chapter eight, verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, oh, I love that, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. This is, we're gonna tee this up right now and this is where we're gonna swing and hit that golf ball next week uh, when, we, uh, when we unpack why we're children of God, right? How, how the spirit adopts us, all right? That's gonna be next week. But I want you to notice this week about the Holy Spirit. He is given to you at conversion. In fact, he's at work at you before your conversion. Without the Spirit, we see very clearly here, you don't have God, you don't belong to Him. So to receive the Spirit at conversion is not a mark of maturity, but a gift at salvation. Whereas to be filled with the Spirit, some of you uh, have different terms uh, depending on, on, your, on your traditions, but we are to seek uh, the Holy Spirit after our conversion to be filled in Him. Uh, we, you, can, you can have the Holy Spirit to bring you into salvation, but you might not be yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit, yielding in Him to, to unleash the giftings in your life. Uh, you, you, may, you may have not given that a thought. And we're commanded, specifically in the book of Ephesians, to, to be filled with the Spirit. So to be filled with the Spirit is a mark of submission. So the, the giving of the Spirit uh, in you to, to cause your eyes to open, your ears to hear, that is, that is a gift. But to be filled with the Spirit is a mark of submission. And the outworking of the Spirit is a sign of obedience. 
Yes, sometimes we stop at the giftings of the Spirit. Again, we'll unpack more of this as the weeks come. But sometimes we stop at the gifting of the Spirit and say, oh, I'm mature now. But listen, the Bible does not look at your giftings as, oh, that's a mature person that gets it all figured out. The outworking of gifting that shows maturity is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. To be filled by the Holy Spirit, to be guided into His power, to exhibit the fruit of obedience, that is love, that is joy, that is peace, that's patience, that's kindness, that's goodness, that's faithfulness, that's gentleness, that's self-control. The Spirit draws you, He fills you, He keeps you, and He wants to transform you. I can't wait for the next some 20 odd mentions of the Holy Spirit in the weeks to come he doesn't want to leave you where you're at there is therefore no condemnation in Jesus Christ man that is so amazing God draws you where you're at and he does not want you to stay where you're at because he wants you to go where he's going here's the takeaway where do you need to stop living under condemnation where where's that condemnation coming? unless you have never given your life to Christ we'll talk about that in a moment you need to get right with Jesus then. But if you are in Christ, if you place your faith and trust in him alone, and there's just different things the enemy is trudging up, where do you need to stop living under that condemnation? Rip up that debt. It's not, it's not yours to have anymore. It's, it's out of date. Number two, what do you need to stop doing and start doing in response to the gratitude of no longer being under condemnation? What in your life just does not align with him? Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's an inherence. Maybe it's an outward action. We need to start doing. Some of you, it's getting in the word of God. You're like, man, you mention that every week. I know, it's an epidemic in the church world that we're not in the word of God. Some of you need to spend more time talking to God in prayer. Some of you just need to just invite the Holy Spirit into your life each and every morning. To open up your eyes and say, God, let me see what you see. Number three, how can you make the gospel central in your life? It's central. It's not just part, an ingredient. It's the result. Where do you need to rehearse the gospel to yourself to know that you're a child of God? Where do you need to share with others? As I was praying this morning, I don't even have this in my notes, I want you to know this afresh. I really believe that God wants to unleash in you, in this church, but I believe, and I don't say this often, because generally speaking, this is true for all of you. But I believe there's a, there's a function and I believe that there's opportunities that are gonna be happening even in this next week. He's giving you favor and opportunity for the gospel to be central and the people to be drawn to it. I believe there's, I, I believe there's, there's a, a turn happening uh, in, in your life to where God is going to activate these things. So be aware of it this week. Now, as I was praying over here, I was like, this, is this something I should share with everybody? It's for everybody. Yes, generally it's always true. Yes, you should be sharing the gospel, but I believe there's an effectiveness that God is going to, that, that God is going to unleash in your life this week. And if I'm wrong, then I'm going to pray it, it that I'm not wrong, okay? Assurance is based on the fact more than feeling. Next week we're going to talk about the spirit of adoption. But until then, let's take it in. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you empower us now to receive this great gift, what some have called the greatest verse in all of scripture, that the enemy so wants our, just to bounce off our head. God, I pray that we would take it in. We'd reach our heart. That we would live a life of gratitude, knowing what we've been saved from. God, I pray specifically for those that are in this room, that are struggling with feeling condemned because they know they've never placed their faith and trust in you. Lord Jesus, I pray in this moment, assurance would come into their life. I pray in this moment for those that have not placed their faith and trust in you alone. Or maybe they've, they've done some actions but it's all just been lip service and they know it wasn't real. And today you're making it real. You're moving in their heart. As we continue to pray, I just want to speak to those. Right now, you, some of you might even be feeling that 
moving in your heart right now, and that's the Holy Spirit. He's taking those scales off your eyes. He's giving you ears to hear. He's giving you a heart to receive. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as Savior this morning, know this. He made you. You're not a mistake. Know this, that you've been separated from him. That's why you feel distant from him. You're separated because of your sin. There's nothing you can do. Nothing. That's why it feels paralyzing. The wages of sin is death. But there's good news. God came to be among us. The God-man, 100% man, 100% God, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, to bridge that gap. To do what we could not do. He died on the cross. He stood in your place to get the wrath of God, the punishment of God upon him for your sins. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And the Bible says that all those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God rose him from the dead will be saved. Just receive Jesus right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I place my faith and trust in you alone that what you did on the cross paid for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. And at this time right now, Lord, help me, help me live a life of gratitude towards you. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, this morning, you made certain, this morning you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. If that's you this morning, will you just make eye contact with me right now? Just make eye contact. It's like, that's me. That's me. I wanted to place my faith and trust in Christ alone. Thank you. Awesome. So Father, I pray for those that are saying yes to you this morning. That they would know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for every person in here that has placed their faith and trust in you. That they would live in the freedom that your spirit gives, that we are no longer condemned. But we're free. Free from the guilt of sin. Help us live a life of gratitude this week. Help us know to, what to start doing in our life to, to build that intimacy with you, God. God, help us be a light to this wonderful city, this wonderful county we call Kenosha. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way, you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but we are people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.